welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. We'll be covering the latest hot topics from the blogosphere with genealogy insider and managing editor, Diane Haddad. In our top tips segment, genealogy lecturer Lisa Alzo is going to help us avoid making costly research mistakes. We'll be spotlighting a terrific map collection website featured in Family Tree Magazine's recent 101 Best Websites list. And finally, we're going to save some money by tapping into great genealogy freebies with David Frixell in our Best of the Family Tree Magazine segment. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Well, each month in the editor's desk segment, we get a chance to go straight to the source. Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. Welcome back to the show, Allison. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Oh, I'm great. You know, Allison, Family Tree Magazine has always encouraged readers to get involved. You know, with letters to the editor and, and submitting questions and stories and things that might even be featured in the magazine. And now with the Internet, you have really blown that wide open by expanding the Family Tree Magazine website and, and the Reader's Forum and, and now launching the podcast. So I was hoping that you would tell us a lot more about the ways that the readers and, of course, now the listeners can contribute to the magazine and connect with other readers and listeners. I would love to. We really like to hear from all of you genealogy buffs out there um, to get your take on what we're doing, but also to find out what's important to you and really to share your stories and knowledge. So um, as Lisa mentioned, we have lots of ways that you can get involved, one of which is reader participation columns in the magazine. One is sort of a challenge in each issue called All in the Family, where we'll ask you to send something in, a picture or a story, and you can win a prize. Um, We also just do everything's relative anecdotes might be something funny or heartwarming or some amazing connection that you made Um, and of course there's the photo detective column where readers can send in mystery photos and Maureen Taylor our resident photo detective will pick out a different one to analyze every other issue of the magazine as well as in her blog and help you with the clues for dating those photos Oh, that is that one in particular is so fun because we all have those kinds of photos sitting around. So <laughs> that's a terrific resource to be able to turn those in and, and maybe have her take a look at them. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great service. Um, and you can learn a lot just by reading the columns um, online and in the magazine, maybe help you solve a mystery that you have. You bet. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned also that we have a lot of online participation kind of um, aspects for Family Tree Magazine, and I'd like to talk a little bit about our online forum, which is um, something we launched a couple years ago. It's kind of like a message board, Um, and it's a really great place to connect with other readers and tell us your ideas and your thoughts about the magazine. So I thought I would just highlight a few areas of the forum that people can uh, contribute to. Right. Um, There's the Query Center, which is where you can post your queries and hopefully get some information from other people about your ancestors. We also have a Brick Walls Forum, um, and this is an opportunity to post your problem. Um, We'll pick one of those every other issue and have an expert analyze it and offer a research plan in a column in the magazine. But then there's also the chance that 
somebody else out there who's on the forum and also a Family Tree Magazine reader or listener will see your problem and have some advice to offer and help you get past that brick wall. It's amazing how many times that can pay off, isn't it? Absolutely. It really is. And we've had um, some really interesting connections made that way. Um, the forum is also a place where we often have contests. For example, um, in our email newsletter, which is weekly, we often um, will publish tips from readers, and you can win a prize. Um, there's a Submit Your Tips forum for that. And then we'll also do... Um, other types of contests. Recently we had one called the Family Tree Teamwork Contest and we were looking for examples of ways that families or um, distant relatives had worked together to solve family tree problems and the um, winners are going to be featured in our November issue and then they've also um, won some pretty great prizes from some of our um, some of the genealogy companies out there. Oh, neat. Yeah. And then the other thing that I would like to mention is we have a Talk to Us forum, which is sort of your direct pipeline to the editors. Um, we often post threads here where we're looking for stories or tips to feature um, in an article in the magazine. And one example that we're looking for right now is Great Depression stories. A lot of our readers have... Um, parents or relatives or they themselves lived through the Great Depression and mm -hmm. we're working on a story for our March 2009 issue that's going to highlight some of those stories and we'd really love for the listeners to go on there and post their stories so that we can possibly feature them in the magazine. Oh, that's exciting. So not only can they share with everybody online, but then potentially even possibly see it featured in the in the magazine. And certainly, I would think depression stories is, is something that just about everybody can get involved with because, like you say, either they have a story or they certainly would have known the grandparent who did. Absolutely. I know in my own family, we have tons of stories like that. And so um, I think I'm going to get the whole thing started with um, some of my own stories and see if that gets the ball rolling. Oh, how fun. Yeah. And then last but not least, um, I'd like to remind everyone that you're always welcome to write a good old-fashioned letter to the editor. You can do it by mail or email. The email address is ftmedit at fwpubs.com. And that's how they can talk to you directly, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that's always a good, surefire way to, uh, to get involved. And, and I want to remind everybody as well, now you have the Family Tree Magazine podcast, just another way that... Uh, the magazine is kind of expanding using the Internet. And you can always reach us here at FTM Podcast for Family Tree Magazine Podcast at gmail.com. That's FTM Podcast at gmail.com. And you can send us emails that I can forward straight on to Allison. Or you can also um, just send us your questions or comments and certainly might have them featured in the show. You know, it's it's so exciting, Allison, that Family Tree Magazine has really embraced uh, the technology, but has still hung on to the tried and true ways to communicate. So there is something for everybody, isn't there? There really is. Well, terrific. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. Once again, it's that time to visit the blogosphere with Diane Haddad, Managing Editor at Family Tree Magazine, and the author of the Genealogy Insider blog. Hi, Diane. 
Hi, how are you? Good. Well, there's been a lot of new stuff going on out there on the blogosphere, and I know that you've been talking about it. A lot of it is um, circulating around Ancestry and Family Search. Tell mm-hmm. us what's going on. Yeah, it was pretty exciting, actually. Um, Ancestry.com and Family Search are embarking on this record exchange project in which census indexes will all be free at Family Search. Um, what they're doing is using those census indexes from Ancestry.com and having their volunteer indexers enhance them. So they're going to take a second look, go through arbitration if the two versions are different, and then put those indexes um, both on Ancestry.com um, where they'll be temporarily free, then available to subscribers, and free at Family Search. So when you talk about enhancements, um, are they going to be adding any additional fields for the index, or are they just reviewing what um, Ancestry already has? They will be adding fields. Um, for example, the birth, month, and year fields they'll add. Um, Friday, I got a chance to talk to spokespeople from both organizations, and what they said was that currently when you um, – search Ancestry.com census index and you see a birth year that's calculated from the person's age at the time the census was taken. So that's not an actual birth year that someone said, oh, this is the year that I was born. So that is just a different search field, something else you can use to look for your ancestor. Um, Occupation as well. They'll be adding that one. Um, The other part of this that's exciting is that Ancestry.com is going to post the images that FamilySearch has been digitizing from NARA's census records. And those are better quality because they're made with more recent technology. So um, what they said is that you can look at these images and you can see um, previously indiscernible notations where you didn't know something was there before. Now you can look and see, like, oh, there's writing there. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So that's going to be quite a big overhaul for for Ancestry, um, but hopefully bring us even a bit more accuracy to the overall project. Yeah, I think genealogists everywhere will be thrilled with um, the accuracy of the new indexes and the ability to see more on the images. Um, These images will be available to Ancestry.com subscribers, but if you go to your nearest family search center, they'll be free there. So if you don't want to become an Ancestry.com subscriber, you can still access the images without paying. So you can go to a family history um, center in your area and be able to access them online free. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, which is great. So, Diane, which census index are they going to be starting with with Ancestry? Well, they'll start with the 1900 census. And you probably already know that Family Search's volunteer indexers have already completed that index. And they can search it, you can search it now up on Family Search's record search site. What they'll do in that case, and in other cases where Family Search indexers have been working on a census, they'll merge the family search index with Ancestry.com's index. So you'll get the benefits of both by doing that. And then um, with the other censuses, with the other censuses that haven't been indexed at Family Search, then they'll um, have the indexers sort of use Ancestry.com's version as a first draft. And that'll be their starting point. Yes. Great. In August 2008, we should see that 1900 census index come online at Ancestry.com.
and the new images are already there. Great. And then if uh, listeners keep an eye on your Genealogy Insider blog, I'm sure you'll be giving us updates as each new one comes online. Absolutely. Great. And then Family Search is also partnering with Find My Past. Is that right? They are. Um, they are going to put England and Wales census indexes on Family Search. They're starting with the 1841 and 1861 censuses, and the indexes, um, the search will be more limited at first, and then as the capabilities of family searches, um, their back-end technology they have access to, if that improves, then you'll be able to search more fields. Um, then you can go to findmypast.com where they'll have the records on their pay-per-view site so you can see the original record. So the the indexes have always been available for free online at Find My Past. You can search them, and then if you decide you want to pay to look at the digital image, you can do that. Right. But I'm assuming that this is just about gaining more exposure for them while mm-hmm. giving a, a more complete list of records to Family Search. Is that right? Right. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, what are these commercial sites getting out of partnering with nonprofits? And um, a lot of it is that exposure where, you know, maybe you've never heard of findmypast.com and you search the index on family search and you go link to the record to see your ancestor and then you see what else is on Find My Past and you think about joining. So I'm assuming then family search is probably not planning on providing links to the digital images or, or are they in the future? You know, I'm not sure about that with regard to findmypast.com. There will be links from Family Search's census index to the Ancestry.com images. So if you're not a subscriber, you'll come to that, um, the access denied screen where they'll say, oh, you can join and, you know, here's all the stuff you'll get. So do you think that in the long run then um, the digital images through Find My Past will actually be available at Family History Centers as they are with the Ancestry? They will, Yes. You'll be able to go to your Family History Center and access the records for free. That's great. So they are getting the additional exposure. We can pay for the convenience at home, Mm -hmm. but everybody can benefit if they would like to make a trip to a Family History Center and be able to get access. So really, everybody wins, it sounds like. Uh Definitely, I think so. Great. Well, thanks so much for uh, bringing us up to date. We'll keep an eye on the Genealogy Insider blog and see what you've got coming up in the next month, and we'll talk to you then. Sounds great. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, it's here. You'll find the much-anticipated 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family Roots article in the September 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And in the Best for Web Researchers category, you'll find a great website chock full of maps from around the world and throughout history that can help you in your research. This is a favorite website of Grace Dobush, Associate Editor of Family Tree Magazine. So I've invited her to join us here on the show and tell us all about it. Hi, Grace. Hey, Lisa. So I heard that you recommended this great map website to David Frixell while he was putting together this year's list. So tell us what caught your eye about this website. This website has absolutely every map you could think of. Um, 
the Perry Castaneda Library at the University of Texas at Austin has about 250,000 maps in its collection, and um, about 11,000 of those are online, uh, scanned in JPEG or PDF format for you to download and use as you wish. Um, and a really great thing about this site is that all of the maps are in the public domain that are on the website, so you can print them without worrying about breaking any copyright laws. Oh, that's great. So you could really incorporate them into your own research and things that you publish. Yeah, exactly. And you can print them out and share them with relatives or fellow researchers if you find something really interesting that you want to share. Um, and on their website, which is www.lib.utexas.edu slash maps, they have um, all the maps of current interest listed in one place. So if you're looking for something pertinent to the news, um, you can find those right away. But the maps are otherwise organized by region and continent. Um, and then more specifically, you can search by state or province, even cities. And there's almost always a historical section under each of those categories. So you can see the maps of the current boundaries of the Middle East or of Europe, but you can also go back, and if you dig around a little bit, you can find most of them are from the 19th and 20th century, but the maps depict you know, country boundaries from the Middle Ages even. That can be such a help, particularly if you're researching in places like you know Germany or Poland where they went through a lot of different boundary changes, <laughs> I know. And, exactly. And being able to look at these maps, and, and I know that they're dated, right? So you can really kind of follow mm -hmm. in a chronological order how the boundaries changed. Yeah, and the really cool thing is that not only is it dated to what time period the map depicts, it usually also includes a publication date. So you can see which era this map is from and also be aware of any cultural biases or prejudices that that map might encompass from the time period that it comes from. Sure. Um, one really great collection that I found while poking around was a German historical atlas called Baedeker's Northern Germany. And it's a scan of 124 maps from this atlas from the early 20th century. And it's got um, everything from a map of all of northern Germany with large cities and landmarks to a rail map of that period and also close-up city maps of city centers for northern Germany, such as Berlin and Hanover and Bremen. And so if your relatives come from northern Germany, you know, you might be able to find um, like the exact street that they lived on. You bet. And, you know, something I noticed was, um, you know, initially we think about maps in terms of boundaries, but I was poking around in there after I heard about we were going to be talking about this website, and I found that there were uh, many maps, like I was looking in Belarus, which um, at the time was Russia, when my relatives lived there, and they had maps showing land use, so it was sectioned off into what was the primary industry, perhaps, at that time, and maybe a 100 years ago, it was used for uh, agriculture or it was a city center or it was doing some kind of an industry. And I just thought that was really interesting because when you know that an ancestor has come from a particular area and you can see the emphasis that was going on in that area at that time, 
uh, that could give you some insight and some clues as to things to look into. Yeah, the map collection encompasses a lot of different types of maps, not only the types that you would find in atlases. They also have a number of road maps, but they also include uh, geological surveys, geographic surveys. A lot of the current maps are from the CIA, so they're kind of vague, but you know that they're up to date. Right. Um, but I've found maps that include um, ethnic distributions in an area, resources like you were mentioning, um, industries of the different regions of the country. So if you just start poking around on this site, you can end up spending so much time just browsing through all the images. I know when I was like looking at the site in preparation to talk to you, I ended up spending about 20 minutes looking at these <laughs> like historic maps of Africa, well, <laughs> looking at all the changes. <laughs> Well, certainly, if our listeners would like to go check out um, this wonderful map collection, you can go to, as uh, Grace said, lib.utexas.edu slash maps. And, of course, I will have the website link for the Perry Castaneda Library Map Collection at the University of Texas in Austin in our show notes for this podcast episode. Grace, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about this really neat resource. Yeah, thanks for having me. In this month's Best of Family Tree Magazine segment, we're going to turn back the hands of time to June 2006. And that's when David Frixell's article called No Purchase Necessary appeared in Family Tree Magazine. So join me in welcoming contributing editor David Frixell back to the podcast. Hi, David. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, in last month's podcast, we chatted with Maureen Taylor about her 2005 article, which was covering family history on a budget. And since we all love to save money when it comes to our research, I really wanted to invite you in and to kind of add to the conversation and share some of your terrific money-saving ideas from the 2006 article. It's amazing to me how many freebies you dug up. Well, thanks. I like to think I did Maureen sort of one better. You know, she could show you how to do it on a budget, and I showed you how to do it for absolutely nothing at all. It's amazing how much is out there. Of course, a lot of it is thanks to the Internet, which brings all these amazing free things right to you know, the comfort of your home. Oh, exactly. What were some of the favorites that you found along the way? Well, I like the mix of things. I think one of the most amazing things probably is the ability to create maps. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, if you wanted a map, well, you had to you know, go to the gas station, I guess, and you know, buy one or the bookstore or something. But now there are these powerful map tools, um, some of them brought to you by our uh, government, like the National Atlas and the National Map, where you can uh, customize them. And, you know, if you've got some ancestral town that you don't know where uh, it really is, you can go to these sites and find, the, find it and then find it on a map and figure out, oh, that's what county it's in and you, should be, you know, where you should be looking for um, resources. Um, and, of course, there's things like uh, Google Earth, which lets you see uh, what the landscape looks like, uh, which, you know, probably hasn't changed that much from your ancestors' time. So those, those from just sort of the gee whiz, whiz bang um, are pretty cool. I think uh, maybe more practical for some people are all the various translation and language tools, because if you have ancestors that are overseas uh, where they originated, like mine from uh, Scandinavia, 
you know, I'm sorry, I don't speak Swedish or write Swedish anymore. Right. And uh, but there are all kinds of tools online that can um, help translate documents, individual words, um, even. And I don't have any German ancestors, but the uh, there's this thing called ScriptTrans, where you can they will for free, um, although they would take a donation. Uh, for free, they'll help you decipher that old German script that's so hard to read. Uh, so it's it's just amazing what's out there. Yeah, that was a really neat one. I actually circled that when I was going back through this article because I certainly have German ancestors. And you're right, that script is very just elaborate. It's beautiful, but it's also really hard to read. So that was a terrific one. And, you know, I noticed um, just recently that Google has a translation tool now, too, and they've added, like, 10 new languages. So when uh, your article first came out, people may have just found a couple of the the more common ones, but it's worth going back and trying these websites again because they have definitely been up in the ante and adding some new languages there. Well, absolutely. And a good example, in fact, since you mentioned Google, is the Google Book Search, which when I first wrote about it in this article... Was, it was kind of a neat thing that it would let you search inside these books. But, of course, as they've scanned more books, now it's become a really pretty amazing tool. And I just used it a couple weeks ago to find uh, some stuff about my ancestors. In one case, I ordered the book through uh, it was about $2.95 through Amazon. And in another case, enough of the book was online that I was able to uh, look at the pages that mentioned my ancestors. And, you know, how long would it have taken to page through all these hundreds of books in you know, hopes that maybe there's something about um, an ancestor. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. The other area that's really expanded since the original article is in software. Uh, we talked about free software you can get, and you know, it's true, you really can get software to do your whole family tree with, no problem at all. But since the article came out, more of them have come out, or the ones that we mentioned are better, and there, now you can do much more things with collaborating with um, and people uh, who are researching your same ancestor. Gee, you really can do almost everything that you do with a paid program uh, with a free program. So, again, nice, it's free. And, and you know, again, I, I love this because um, genealogy isn't really the cheapest uh, hobby in the world that a person could have, is it? Well, it's pretty easy to spend a lot of money now. Yeah. You know, if you figure, well... Uh, you want to travel somewhere to an ancestral town or something. Uh, you want to. I always want to subscribe to more and more of the subscription services, and those can really begin to add up. So it's nice to find that you can uh, get a few things for free. You can even get some of those subscription services for free, like Ancestry and um, Heritage Quest, if your library or in your area is a subscriber, because both have sort of library editions and. That's really what Heritage Quest Online is now. It's really aimed at institutions. Mm-hmm. So you, you and I as individuals couldn't really even subscribe to it. But if your library has it, gee, there's pretty much the whole United States Census, for example, that you can go and search um, in the library uh, for free. Some libraries, and again, you know, check with your individual public library, will even let you do that from home. So you put in the number from your library card, and you, something you can access um, these rather pricey uh, subscription services. So it's a, that's a great freebie that you can really do a lot of research with. 
You know, David, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, I just heard about that again in my local genealogy society. They're terrific about sharing news about local resources. And it turned out that our library not only offered it, but as you said, um, we could access it from home. And yeah. that was awesome. It's an amazing thing. I also like, you know, those are sort of big things. I also like some of the small little tools, like we talk about an inflation calculator. If you, ever, if you read something, you know, at an old will that, you know, this was $10. Well, that was seventeen ninety four. Uh, you know, what's that in today's money? Yeah. And these little calculators will tell you that. Or there's a cost of living calculator that does the same um, kind of things. And you can really get a better sense then for what your ancestors' lives were like. Uh, you know, what was money like then? Uh, or there are little things, a couple of them, uh, the DeMarie time capsule, another one called Our Timelines, that will put your ancestors' lives in context with you know, what were the popular movies or books or toys or other sort of things, what important historical events happened during the time that your ancestors lived. And those are all, you know, of course, for free. Oh, how nice. It really adds a a background and a context to our ancestors' lives. Well, you know, if you missed this June 2006 article, don't worry, because you can get every 2006 issue of the magazine on the Family Tree Magazine 2006 compilation CD. And there you will find David's article, No Purchase Necessary. So just head over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com, click the Back Issues tab, and then click CDs. Or, of course, I'll have a link for you directly to that page in the show notes, along with several of the freebies that David mentioned here on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, David, and for helping us save some money. Thanks for having me. Make no mistake about it. When it comes to our genealogy research, making a mistake can mean a lot of lost time and backtracking. So that's why I'm so happy that Lisa Alzo is joining me today on the show. Lisa is a genealogy instructor and lecturer as well as a blogger. You can find her blog at theaccidentalgenealogist.blogspot.com. She is also the author of the article, Make No Mistake, that you will find in the upcoming November 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. I imagine as an instructor and a lecturer that, that you get a good sense of the common mistakes that folks make when they do their research. Absolutely. I teach beginning genealogy classes both in the classroom and online for genclass.com. And you just wouldn't imagine the, the mistakes and uh, that the people make, and even experienced researchers who've been doing it for a while tend to forget and, and make some, some very common mistakes that I cover in the article. And so I write, and I also write from experience that I've, I've made mistakes as well. So that's why this article was pretty easy to write. <laughs> Absolutely. We all have a long list, I'm sure, of our own mistakes. And, and your list here in the article, you've got 10 that um, certainly are very common, and you have some great information and advice to people on how to avoid them and how to do some things up front to to do just that, to avoid these mistakes. So what was one that really stuck out with you or that was some coming from your own experience? Well, one of them that I wrote about is buying into family legends or family lore. And, of course, we all 
are instructed and, and told that oral history is a big part of, of genealogy research. And so you hear family stories maybe around the Thanksgiving dinner table or, you know, visiting relatives or at a family reunion, or maybe it's even written down somewhere and you start believing them and you, you don't do the the investigation to follow up to make sure that's true so you know just because your great-grandpa said he was a war hero doesn't necessarily mean that that was 100 percent true these you know, things could be based in fact but obviously get embellished over time as they're they're passed down either orally or even in writing and and i found that in in my own research i i had uh a story that was actually written down that said uh, my great aunt was born in Liverpool, England, and then when I did some further investigation, I actually found she was really born in Slovakia, but the family traveled through Liverpool, and so uh-huh. it got recorded that she was born in Liverpool. So you need to be careful with your family lore and your your family legends and your stories. Absolutely. That I could I could imagine that scene somebody sees Liverpool on a document and assumes that's a birthplace and of course it's not. That's right. And um you know one thing I've come across so often is that um the lore may have some truth to it but so many times it's attributed to the wrong generation. They'll say, "Oh, that was great grandma." Well, it was a couple of great grandmas past that. You know what I mean? That's correct. Yeah. That's right. Now, the flip side of that was uh, the first one in your article, which was not asking relatives. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. That, I, I, there are so many genealogists that, that I talk to, and I include myself in this, that I wish I would have asked so-and-so, or I wish I would have taken the time to sit down with, with my grandmother or grandfather and, and ask the stories firsthand. And, and that happened with me with my maternal grandmother because I had, I had written her story down in a book. It's called Three Slovak Women. But by the time I was interested in genealogy and ready to, to do the research and write this book, she had already passed away. And even though I had known her up until I was in college, I, I just never sat down and asked her anything about her life and I had to rely on my mother and my aunts and uncles and other people to fill in the blanks and so if you ever have the opportunity to ask a living relative you need to do it and you need to do it soon because as we know the the longer you wait the, the more chance you have that the person you want to speak with will no longer be around. And I know also in this day and age of Internet research and the fact that we are reconnecting with a lot of distant relatives, I'm finding this myself here lately, more people show up who are elderly, but I've connected to them through another cousin or somebody online, and it it takes a lot of discipline to stop what you're doing and make the time and go and talk to those newly discovered people that are still here so you don't make that same mistake twice. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. And I can't stress that enough to any beginners that are out there or even folks who've been doing research for a while but maybe have put speaking to their great aunt or their great uncle on the back burner saying, oh, I'll get to it, but I need to do this first. You need to make that a priority. And now this article for everybody listening is going to be coming out in the November 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And, of course, we've only had a couple of minutes to chat about it here today. But um, anything else that you think that you really want to bring to people's attention that they don't miss in this article? The other thing that I think is important, especially for for anyone who 
needs to get into foreign records research, which, of course, with the the large amount of immigrant ancestors we, we all have, you know, that pretty much touches most people. So you need to resist the temptation to want to jump across the pond very quickly. And the article goes into a little more detail on that. But but with the Internet, the, the barriers are no longer there in, in a lot of cases. And so you find really great records online and you start, researching and you want to get over there to the baptismal records or the marriage records or or whatever other record you need that's that's in another country but sometimes you skip all of the great US resources where you can get a good deal of your basic information so that you don't get the wrong ancestral village or town or heaven forbid even follow the wrong line <laughs> because we forget sometimes that our uh Ancestors, while the name may not seem common in the U.S., when we get to another country, it may be very common. Mm -hmm. So you need to just be careful and not want to to hurry up and and jump right across the pond. You need to make use of all the good U.S. resources that you can find. And as you say, you know, the other benefit of having the Internet is that um, there is so much preparation that we can do for our trip before we go. Not even just the records, but just making sure we've got the appropriate maps, that we've already made contact with some of the people there that we that we want to connect with, so that you don't miss an opportunity for that short time that you're there. It, it's just wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much. I mean, the Internet really, it gives you a good good framework, a good place to begin. And, and I always say that it's, you know, it's one tool in your arsenal and you can get so much good preliminary information and also data. And then you, like you said, you can plan your trips, you can map things out, you know, you know, a little bit more ahead of time uh, and then you're better organized and that makes for a better experience all around. That's right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. The time has flown by, but thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you're going to come back and talk to us in future episodes. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, keep an eye out for Lisa Alzo's cover story, Make No Mistakes, in the November 2008 issue of the magazine. And if you have a favorite mistake-proof tip that you want to share, email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to check out the show notes for this episode number three. I'll have links to all the websites mentioned in this episode, as well as information on how you can get the Family Tree Magazine 2006 compilation CD, which includes David Frixell's article on genealogy freebies. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, I hope you'll tell your friends and your local genealogy society about it. You can find us on the web at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.